Welcome to T&D Talk, a special series on the T&D World Line Life podcast channel. For each episode, companies can share their stories about how they're supporting the electric utility industry. Through their tools, technologies, products, and services, they are helping line workers and field workers improve their productivity and safety. This podcast episode focuses on flame-resistant garments. Today, I will be talking with Derek Sang, Senior Technical Training Manager, Bulwark FR, who will dive into this topic. He has been involved in the flame-resistant clothing industry in a variety of roles from the service, manufacturing, and garment sides of the business for more than 25 years. We will first discuss the proper selection, use, care, and maintenance of FR garments, and next we will cover common myths and misconceptions. Finally, we will address the issue of FRAR clothing and heat stress. Derek, thank you for joining us today for T&D Talk. Amy, thank you very much. Greatly appreciated. To begin, Derek, what are some important factors to consider in selecting FR garments, and why is it important to use the garments properly? Well, that's a very good question because being in the market now, gosh, I'm going to date myself, uh, 25 plus years. I tell folks I got started back when you could get any style, any color of navy blue Nomex coverall you wanted because really that's all they had back in the day was typically confined to petrochem. And as garments evolved and as different markets came on board, over the last quarter of century, we've seen a huge evolution to where when we talk about what the options are for folks who have to wear shirts and pants, coveralls as life-saving pieces of equipment when it comes to thermal exposures like arc flash, that whole dynamic has changed. You can now look at selecting garments to have a lot of what we would call retail influence. They're very, very hard to differentiate between what you could walk in off the street to a normal store and get, the fashion, the styling, and now even the weight is very, very similar to what you would wear really every day. So as far as what's important factors, the first most and most important thing in key is make sure that that garment is tested to your hazard. For our utility, our T&D world, that's obviously primarily arc flash. For our other core markets, it can be flash fire, combustible dust, molten metals, etc. But make sure that that garment's pedigree, make sure its resume tells you, I can protect you in the hazard that you're exposed to. That's first and foremost. And then we want to look into secondary characteristics. Uh, Does it have the ability to wick moisture, which is built into the matrix of that fiber complex to where it's part of the garment? It can mimic your body's evaporatory cooling system. It's relatively light in weight, even though weight is not a huge factor when it comes to comfort because comfort's pretty subjective, but it is a factor. And then we also want to have some air permeability so we can have some airflow so that the garment there is not kind of smothering you. So those are key factors when selecting. And we always tell folks, no matter what folks like me say and other marketing slash sales type people, get wear tests. Good companies can sponsor wear tests. Get the latest and greatest on your team's back and let them make their own evaluations in the conditions that they're going to wear them in. And then obviously wearing them properly. 
of all the conditions, when we're out in the field and when we look at those things, we want folks to make sure they're implementing their safety device properly, a.k.a. think about a fall harness. You would never wear your fall harness and not secure your D-ring if you're in your bucket. You would make sure that your thigh straps are snug and secure and you can only get a couple fingers in between them. You'd make sure that that chest strap is secured comfortably because we don't look to fall, but if we do, we don't have time to go and make all that stuff snug and secure so it can work properly. We don't want to be exposed to arc flashes, but when they do happen, we don't have time to implement the necessary changes if we have gotten complacent, aka they're not buttoned all the way up. We've got our sleeves rolled up. They're not secured at the wrist. We're untucked and thus mitigating the ability for that safety device to maximize its ability to protect you. That's great, Derek. That's great advice for line workers. What do you think are some key factors in caring for the FR garments? And how do you know when it's time to repair or replace them? Any safety device, any piece of personal protective equipment has to be in good usable condition. I go back to my fall harness because my line workers typically can connect with their climbing and their fall protection. We don't allow frays. We don't allow cuts. They're only utilized once and then replaced. Same kind of mindset, though we get a little, I don't want to say sloppy is the wrong word, but we take clothing with a little bit more of a cavalier attitude. We allow it to get frayed. We allow it to get thread-borne. We may allow some tears and some holes that we may not judiciously repair at all times. Just note that that life-saving piece of equipment is now compromised. So when we look at proper care of the FR garments, yes, wash them. That's relatively easy. It's really hard in the wash cycle, whether that's in an industrial laundry or whether that's at home, to mess up good FR in today's world. We don't typically use bleach when it comes to colored items, so that's not as big a concern. Peroxide, your OxyCleans. Be cautious using them over time because they have a tendency to weaken that fiber matrix, which makes up the fabric, which ultimately is providing the protection. Don't use additives like starch and fabric softener because those can, over time, accumulate and allow that safety device not to perform as well as it could when necessary. So doing some common things, taking a proactive approach Before we don our safety apparel in the morning, give it a quick once over. Look at the high stress areas. Look at the placard. Make sure all the buttons are intact. Check the waistband. Make sure that you're not missing things. Check that the thighs aren't worn thin or we have holes in the knees because just replace them. You wouldn't allow the vast majority of your other PPE to have a crack in my safety helmet only one lens in my safety glasses, only wearing one of my earbuds for hearing protection. I wouldn't allow all my safety shoes to be torn to the point where I'm exposing my composite or steel tote. Start to take that same mental approach when it comes to your shirts, pants, and coveralls because they are your last line of defense in a thermal event like an arc flash. Yeah, those are some good points, Derek. And what are some common mistakes that you see people who regularly wear FR and AR make? Take everything that I just said and flip it, and those are the mistakes. We see garments that are in disrepair. We see garments that are obviously 
folks have artificially forced their service life to be too long. They're threadborn, they're ripped, they're torn. But the big ones and is not interfacing the garment properly. All our standards that refer to the FRAR world, whether it's in 2113 for our flash fire or gas folks, whether it's 70E for our industrial general industry electricians and ASTM 1506, which kind of is the overarching standard when it comes to flame resistant arc rated clothing for our utility folks, proper interfacing of a shirt and pant. What does that mean? Tuck it in, button it up, secure it at the wrist. Because if it's untucked, if it's unbuttoned, if it's rolled up, you now have a safety belt that is not secured. You now have a safety belt that you've literally clicked behind you and are not wearing properly. And you're thinking that, oh, when I go back into an energized environment, I'm just going to remember to do it correctly. That's like saying, I'm just going to click it before I hit the fire hydrant or I hit the tree or I have a rear end collision. We don't remember to do those things. When we're out in the field, we'll see folks, our line workers digging a trench, then they go to get in the bucket to go up into the minimal approach distance. And guess what the state of their flame-resistant arc-rated shirt is? Assuming that they have it on, it's unbuttoned, it's untucked, and the sleeves may be rolled up because they forgot. They've been distracted. They've just thrown it on to the last minute. So those are the type of things that that we see. We want folks to interface because more than likely, because they've been trained and they're adhering to their training, what are you allowed to wear underneath your flame-resistant arc-rated shirt? It's a 100% company t-shirt or it's a 100% cotton t-shirt that you wear to help with moisture management, to help you when you're doing non-energized work, you can take it off and you can do those things. That's fuel. So when we're unbuttoned and we're untucked, that arc energy, that heat, and that energy has a place to go and find fuel. And that fuel is going to be worn closest to use. And we do see ignition underneath arc-rated clothing because it's not been worn properly. And that's unnecessary burn injury that's happening to our utility worker because they have not worn their PPE correctly. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And what about rain gear and high-vis vests? What are some of the arc flash and flash fire hazards of those garments? And what about the proper use of accessories for FR protection? So the one thing that we see and the one thing that we want to caution our T&D folks, our utility workers, our line workers, is we see programs that are highly funded, well thought out, well subsidized, the right number of garments for the variety of conditions. And when it gets to rain gear and vests, because those typically end up being a company purchase versus the individual purchasing from an online catalog, from the uniform provider, etc. And what happens is, is those decisions go from the safety team into the procurement team and the procurement team starts looking at what's the lowest cost FR garment we can get because they don't understand that FR does not necessarily mean that it's arc rated. FR doesn't necessarily mean that that vest or rain gear has been tested to the hazard that our line workers are exposed to. We can get flame resistant rain gear in the marketplace for between $100 and $150. It's 
tested to ASTM 6413, and it has an FR designation. Unfortunately, it hasn't been tested to the arc flash. It hasn't been tested to the hazards that our line workers actually face. Hence, you can compromise that whole well-funded program that I just described by putting them in inexpensive, low-quality rain gear and vests. The easiest way to tell if you've got the right rain gear and the right vests is look at the cost. If your rain gear is between four and five hundred dollars, you probably have the right rain gear. If your rain gear is between a hundred and one hundred and fifty dollars, you probably have the wrong rain gear. The standards for rain gear for our utility workers in electric arc flash is ASTM eighteen ninety one. For our Petrocam Flash Fire joint utility folks, it's ASTM 2733. And yes, there's rain gear that's been tested to both those standards. That means it's been tested to arc flash and flash fires. For our vests, if we're not utilizing high-vis safety apparel in general, and we have to don a vest on the side of the highway, make sure it has an arc rating. That means it's met ASTM 1506. That means that that garment will not ignite and continue to burn in an arc flash. It has shown that it has an arc rating and can sustain that. Now, on the vest side, since it's, it's an outer layer, it still does not have to be equal to or greater than the incident energy you're exposed to. Because why? You're donning it over top of your work shirt, which is the outermost layer, which is equal to or greater than the incident energy you're up against. You just want that vest to have an arc rating so we know it will not ignite and cause unnecessary injury. So that's just a couple areas where we see vests and rainwear could potentially compromise a very well-funded and very well-thought-out clothing program when it comes to adding those additional items when it comes to inclement weather. And one of the things that you talked about that a lot of people don't think about is accessories especially during winter months and sometimes in the hot months. Bandanas for sweat, bandanas underneath my hard hat. Do those have FR properties Uh, or are they made of meltables? That skull cap, that watch cap for additional warmth underneath our hard hat. Be cautious. The other one that we see during cold weather is we have our very expensive flame-resistant arc-rated brown duck work coat and we grab that hoodie off the back door on the way out because it's going to be a little bit chillier this morning than it was yesterday, and I want additional layer. Is that hoodie you just grabbed part of your program? Or is it your all-day, everyday, non-FR hoodie, and you're just putting it underneath your jacket, and you'll be fine? Well, that hood that sits outside your jacket's now the outermost layer. It has to have flame-resistant arc-rated properties. Secondly, when it gets too hot or it starts to heat up and we doff that brown duck outer layer, what have you just exposed potentially to your work environment? Could that be a non-FR hoodie? So just a couple things to think about when we look at accessories and when we look at layering up. Yeah, that's great, Derek. And then next we'll move on to some common misconceptions, starting with FR being too hot, followed by whether or not FR will wear out. Let me take care of the easy one first. All the commercially viable fabrics utilized by the top companies today in North America, and I'm not going to go through the half dozen or so, but we all know who those are. All the fabrics that they're utilizing are guaranteed for the life of that garment. Now, 
here's where folks get a little confused. Guaranteed for the life of the garment, every single garment has a wear life to where we have to retire it. We do that all the time in our everyday closet. We make decisions on when that garment needs to go out of style. Now, my wife will tell you I make some pretty poor decisions because that favorite t-shirt may have gone well by what she considers its normal wear life. But we all, from a common sense standpoint, that once it gets threadbare, once we have holes and rips and tears, we need to retire it. The FR properties, the FR engineering is going to be there for as long as that garment's useful life. Now, some folks, you might have a supervisor who only dons that shirt and pant or that coverall once, twice a week, once, twice a month. That garment, even though it's washed regularly, may be in good shape for five to seven years. Those FR properties are still there. That heavy duty line worker who's just robust and just is... His clothes, six, eight months, and he's he's threadbare, and he's got holes, he's got rips or tears. The FR properties are still there. That garment needs to be retired. So you're not going to get an expiration date on the FR properties, that FR engineering of all the top fabrics, regardless of who you're purchasing from today. Now, Derek, can you talk about the misconception of FR being too hot? So the common misconception is that FR garments are going to lead to more heat stress than they are going to protect against arc flashes because of how heavy and dense these are. And I will say at some point, maybe 15, 20 years ago, that argument still had a little bit of weight only because we had to have fabrics that were dense enough and heavy enough that they could protect you to the levels of energy that they were being exposed to. Think about it. You have a seven, seven and a half ounce shirt, and it's required to protect and insulate you against a hazard that starts out at 35,000 degrees, is eight to 10,000 degrees, 18 inches out of that equipment. It is creating a concussive force of 2,200 square foot pounds. It's ripping across and vaporizing metal that it's coming in contact with, projecting that out at 950 miles an hour at 1900 degrees. And I've got seven and a half piece of cloth standing between me and significant injury. I say all that to say the technology in the last five to seven years has gotten much more sophisticated. The FR engineering that we're able to utilize, we have five and a half ounce fabrics that under thermal load, under those arc flash conditions, react to that heat energy, they expand, and they begin to act like much bigger and more robust fibers than they than you were when you were wearing them in non-arc flashes. So what I'm saying is the technology of where we are today in single layer work apparel, there is no clothing adjustment factor for shirts, pants, and coveralls worn in a single layer. Now, that statement completely changes when we start adding additional layers like soil protection, chemical protection, arc flash suits, rain gear, and even in some case, vests, because you're now limiting a you know, a third to two thirds of your upper torso is not being able to dissipate heat as easily as without it. So 
what's the solution? The solution is if you have not sat down with your supply chain partners and you have not looked into the latest and greatest when it comes to FR fabrics and FR garments, especially from the waist up. We don't typically get a lot of pushback from the waist down because most pant weights are between nine and 12 ounces. We've grown up wearing 12 to 14 ounce non-FR denim, so we don't have the same kind of pushback from the waist down, but we get it from the waist up. Look into the new FR engineering that's been implemented in these garments. We've got fabrics that are down to t-shirt weight at 5.3 ounces. We've got button downs, flex knits. We've got all this new technology that's available to the wearer today that just 10 years ago wasn't even on the the drawing table. So if you're still thinking it's hot and uncomfortable, I encourage you to get out and get some wear trials going at your facility and looking into some of the newer fabrics. Derek, some line workers just starting out in the trade may think it's okay to just wear FR when they need it. What's the issue with this line of thinking? Well, hopefully... Hopefully it's not an option. Now, where it can be an option is we get onto the work site, we're doing some unenergized tasks, we see some of our uh, more seasoned journeyman electrical workers and line workers, and they're doffing their PPE to do this. And we're saying, don't worry about it. This is how we do it here, even though the boss man says to wear your, your stuff all the time. Taking a task-based approach, meaning I'm just going to wear it when I need it, fundamentally can cause complacency throughout the workday. We get tired, we get distracted, or we have to speed things up, and our PPE is sitting wherever that may be, in the cab of our truck, draped over the back of a shovel, whatever the case may be, I'm just going to hop in the bucket and go do it, or I'm just going to kneel down and disconnect or reconnect or do whatever. And we're not donning all our PPE because of either A, we're just tired and we forgot. B, we've got to get this job done and we need to get out of here. Uh, We don't have time to do everything right. So we're going to take some shortcuts. So the task-based approach really gets into biting us when we are separating what we're doing based on, I need to wear this, I don't need to wear this, where if we're wearing it all the time, we take that decision-making and that distracted decision-making, the fatigue decision-making, the we've got to get done, the speed acceleration of completing a job because we want to button up and get out of here, decision-making. We've always got a baseline of protection regardless of what goes wrong. And that's really kind of, when you look at that margin of error, when things happen, do we want to be exposing fuel unnecessarily, aka my non-FR t-shirt, my non-FR company t-shirt, and my perfectly good arc-graded button-down shirt or whatever is sitting over here and I've now caused myself unnecessary injury or worse yet, fatality because... I was able to don and doff it willingly and human just got in the way. Our best workers under the best of conditions at the best of times still make mistakes and wearing your PPE because it's lightweight and comfortable and you want to wear it 
and we don't have to worry about it being hot and uncomfortable and we take that out of the equation kind of avoids those scenarios that I described. Derek, you touched on this a little bit, but during the hot and humid weather, line workers often work in extreme temperatures. What types of garments are best for countering heat stress and how can layering help in these conditions and environments? Well, talk about something that's timely. I'm based out of just uh, a little bit south and west of Phoenix, Arizona. And I think our top temperature today here is going to be about 115 degrees. So our line workers in those conditions are definitely challenged. And uh, when you look at solving those things, obviously, when you look at OSHA's guidance, you look at hydration, you look at rest, and you look at resting in the shade. And if the last two are primarily to get the body to be able to dissipate heat. And hydration is basically keeping that radiator filled. If you think about ambient air temperatures above 98.6, once you get the outer air hotter than what you are, you only have one cooling mechanism left. And that is your evaporatory cooling system, which is your ability to sweat and get heat away from your body and out into the atmosphere. Well, if you don't have an arc flash hazard concern, you can get down to bare minimal clothing under certain conditions and you can allow that evaporatory cooling system to work as efficiently as possible. The problem is, is once you start covering it up and then you start covering it up the way you have to in order to protect yourself in a arc flash hazard, sleeves are rolled down, you're tucked in, you're buttoned up, the fabric now has to have or have the ability to mimic your evaporatory cooling system. So you want the moisture wicking component to be part of that fiber matrix. You want it to be built in there already. You want to have the FR engineering and the technology efficient enough to allow you to now have an open weave because you want any kind of airflow to assist in that evaporatory cooling component. And then you would like it to be as lightweight as possible to first and foremost protect you. Secondly, allow it to be substantial enough that I can open up the weave. And then third, I have the ability to pull moisture from my body out of that so I can stay somewhat cool. So when we go back to the previous question, what are some of the things that we look into is the newer technologies are incorporating all that. When you look at the leaps and bounds we've made in performance fabrics, when we start looking at our professional teams, whether that's baseball, hockey, basketball, football, whatever you like to follow, and you look at the improvements in fabric technology, design, and specifically the ability to manage moisture, the FRAR world is starting to incorporate similar technologies. It's not as easy as going out there and grabbing it and just starting to use it. We have some limitations in which to do because of what we're protecting you against, but we are starting to see that technology come into our flame-resistant arc-rated world. So we're able to protect you and help you during these hotter months. The other thing you mentioned is we are starting to see a lot of advantages to wearing flame-resistant arc-rated base layers. Now, these base layers in and of themselves can't be the outermost layer because they typically don't have a high enough arc rating to do that. 
but we're able to utilize a lot of hydrophilic and hydrophobic fibers that help us pull and push moisture to that outer layer. It also allows, because the outer layer and now the fact that you're FR and AR on your base layer, you don't have any fuel involved in your system, that system's arc rating when tested together typically is going to be much greater than that single outer layer in and of itself. That allows us to get lighter and have a lesser arc rating on that outer layer because now when I combine it with that base layer, I now have a system that is better able to mimic your evaporatory and take advantage of your sweating and also not getting wet and saturated and becoming part of the problem and now part of the solution. So again, get with your supply chain partners, look at these base layers, look at options in your outermost layer when you're looking into these, especially these hot summer months and start evaluating how can we do things better utilizing some of these newer fabric technologies. Good advice, Derek. And what else do you think line workers should be aware of when it comes to FR and AR? Really all of the above in the sense that, you know, we're in a new era, so to speak, of FR engineering. We're in a new era of combining the best that fibers have to offer and mitigating some of their disadvantages to where we're now utilizing fabrics that in all honesty, if it didn't have a bulwark triangle on it, if it didn't have a Carhartt FR logo, if it didn't have a Tyndale FRMC, an Ariat FR emblem, it'd be very, very hard to differentiate these between retail weight and retail design. So it's come a long way. So first and foremost, I encourage my line workers as they're evaluating and looking to complement that you spend some time with the latest and greatest. And then lastly, it doesn't matter how well we build it. It doesn't matter how good it looks. It doesn't matter all the efficiencies that are built into it. If you're not taking care of it, if you're not wearing it properly, it's not going to be able to, to help you in arguably the worst conditions that hopefully you'll ever face on the job. I tell folks all the time, we build life-saving pieces of equipment that just happen to look like shirts, pants, and coveralls. But my hope is you never have to use it for what I built it for. But if you do, make sure you've taken care of it. Make sure that you're wearing it properly. Make sure that it's tucked in, rolled down, buttoned up so that you can mitigate any injury that you're going to get from that arc wash. Derek, thank you so much for sharing information about how FR clothing can provide protection against arc flash hazards for line workers and field workers. We appreciate everything you do to keep our listeners safe as they keep the power flowing and the lights on in their communities. And if you want to listen to more TND Talk episodes, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. And to learn more about Bulwark and its line of FRAR gear, please visit www.bulwark.com. And thank you for listening to TD Talk. Mm-hmm.